How do the stories we tell reflect the way we see the world? Why do we tell what we tell and leave out what we leave out? Why do stories have so much power over our thoughts and feelings? Welcome. Join me today as we discuss the ways that these tales are more than stories. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Look, I didn't want to be a half-blood. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of Number 4 Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal, thank you very much. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona where we lay our scene. From ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands. Those are a few opening lines of some of the most influential stories in recent history, recent human history. There's one, though, that trumps all of them. One that was more influential than any of those opening lines to admittedly great stories. Reshit bara Elohim, et In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so begins the most influential book in human history. Where do we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? Those are questions that so many people in so many cultures throughout history have tried to answer with varying degrees of success. Most people face those questions at some point in their lives. And most people hold to one explanation of where it all started. Maybe like me, you believe that we were designed for a purpose by a God or by God. Maybe you believe that we arose naturally through the process of evolution. Maybe you believe that this is all a simulation. I don't know what you believe. But what cultures thought about the beginning tells us a lot about where we fall on the spectrum in so many people's minds. Because it's not always even close to the same story. Even when it seems like it starts relatively similarly, there's still usually huge differences. To a Christian, in the beginning was the word, the logos, a divine rule, something, some intelligence that set the world in motion, that meant for everything to happen, that gave a purpose to creation, and that indeed created. But that's not even close to the standard nor is it by any means universal. To the Greeks, I very much like how uh, Stephen Fry put it in his book, Mythos. When he recounts the Greek creation myth, he says, Enarche ein hakaos. In the beginning was chaos. And out of chaos arose, depending on the telling of the myth, at least Gaia, sometimes Tartaros, sometimes Eros, and sometimes Oranos. At some point, though, you end up with at least Gaia and Aranos. And from them, you get the Titans and the Giants and the Cyclopes and the Hecatonchires. And from the Titans, you get the Olympian gods. 
And later, the gods, sometimes with the help of some of the titans, create humanity. Sometimes very far down the line. So, in the Greek creation myth, humans don't necessarily show up on day six. The world exists for quite some time before we ever enter the scene. So how much do we matter in that sort of story? That theme of a primordial deity of some sort creating then some lesser deities that then go on to create humanity is a very prevalent one. It happens relatively often. One that I rather like because it illustrates another kind of creation myth is the Aztec creation myth, or at least one version of it. In at least one version of the Aztec creation myth, there is a god, or sometimes gods, it's difficult to tell, called Omateok. And from Omateok, two beings are created. It's sometimes difficult to tell. Omateok means dual god in Nahuatl, in the Aztec language. So sometimes it's difficult to tell if it was one god or two at the beginning, but at some point it seems that it became two if it wasn't already. And from those two, at some point, arise four gods called the Tezcatlipocas. Their names, if I remember correctly, are Quetzalcoatl, Huitzilopochtli, Jipe Totec, and, confusingly enough, Tezcatlipoca. These gods go on to eventually establish the world by killing a great monster and then creating humans. But the Aztec creation myth introduces a slightly different theme. Because that was the beginning of the world, but not necessarily the beginning of our world. You see, they have a cyclical belief system. Theirs marked by different suns, different gods taking up the role of the sun. In their beliefs, we are living under the fifth sun, we see the Pokli. And there were four others before us that all ended and all destroyed humanity in various ways some very supernatural disasters, a rain of jaguars, a flood of blood, a rain of fire, a wind that blew everyone off the face of the earth. Nevertheless, they establish a cyclical origin, that we're not the first attempt, that there were a few missteps along the way before whatever god or gods created the world finally got it right. That's also a fairly prevalent theory. Something similar shows up in the Navajo myths. And then there's one very interesting one that subverts it a bit. In Norse mythology, in the Poetic Edda, we have a creation myth that I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name of. It's a little bit different than the other ones. There is a being of some sort at the beginning, but not a primordial deity like the others that we've talked about. His name was, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, Emir. He was a giant. But unlike several of these other primordial deities, he didn't really have a direct hand in creating the world. He was just there. And at some point from somewhere came Odin and his brothers and some of the other of the Norse gods. And they killed Emir and fashioned his body into the world. So already we have a break from any idea of a creator deity, even one that arose from nothing, like the Greek ones. 
Instead, we have something at the beginning that was formed into the world. But you might be significantly more familiar with another Norse myth, Ragnarok, their apocalypse. Now, we'll talk about apocalypses later. I don't want to get into them too much right now, but I will say that they are inextricably linked to creation myths. It's hard to talk about the beginning without, at some point, talking about the end. And to the Norse, they had something like a cyclical world structure. That the world ends and starts again, but theirs is different in that we are the first one. So what does that mean? I said earlier that in the ones where we are not the first world, it means that it took a few tries to get it right. Now, I don't know if that's exactly how they were thinking of it, but that's how it seems to me. And so, if we're the first one, but not the last, does that mean that we're the ones that didn't get it right? See, that's the most interesting thing to me about looking at these creation myths. We could talk for hours about all the different myths from different worlds, from different cultures, and how they all interplay with their religions, and how they interplay with their philosophies, and how they interplay with every aspect of their lives. But I think the most interesting question when we talk about creation myths is that. Where do we fall on the story? How soon do we happen? Is it day six? Is it after the gods get their business settled out? Is it after millions and millions of years of evolution? When do we enter the scene? How important are humans to the story of the world? How much do we matter? And like I said, inextricably tied to an ending. Where are we going? Where do we start? Why are we here? Because that's the ultimate purpose, I think, of a creation myth. It's most extreme interpretation. Why? Why us? Why this? Why the world we know? Why not another one? Why humans and not some other creature? Why this history and not an alternate one? Those are the questions that creation myths, creation stories, because at least one of them must not be a myth, seek to answer. Those are the questions that drive us. Those sometimes are the questions that haunt us. When you look up into the night sky on a clear night, I don't know where you live. If you live in a city, I encourage you at some point to go out into somewhere where you can see the stars and to lean back and to look up and to wonder. To see in the space of things how small we are compared to the rest of the universe, and to ask yourself, why? Why now? Why here? Do I matter? In the grand scheme of things, do I really matter? I think the answer is yes. But to find that answer, you have to first ask the question of where 
I start? And to answer that, you have to ask where do we start? So go out, listeners. Go out and look up into the night sky and read the story of the universe as best as you can.